Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Medevac Podcast. I'm your host for today, Christian Myers, joined by our other host, David Reed. Before we get into today's episode, please remember there is a price for the show. You have to share it with a friend or family member if you get something out of today's episode. So make sure you're doing that. Like and comment and uh, give us some suggestions for topics and guests. Speaking of our guests, our guest today, Levi Rogers. He was a former Green Beret, 7th Group. 7th Group. 7th Group Green Beret. He was injured in uh, 09 and uh, has done some recovery. He's our first limb salvage guest that we're having on. And then uh, he's done quite a bit since then. So welcome, Levi. Thanks. Including a real estate mogul. Mo- yeah. <laughs> real estate tycoon. Tycoon. That, I wouldn't go that far. Is that the appropriate nomenclature? monocle? Just real estate guy. Just <laughs> 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 guy. Welcome to the show, brother. Yeah. Hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, of absolutely. course. Absolutely. So we dive it in with a, always the same start is what inspired you to join the military and what year did you join? Well, I was in, it was in 1996. Uh, okay. I was out in uh, Sacramento, California, uh, coming out of high school. I really didn't have a pathway to go to college. You, you know, I grew up in a pretty, uh, um, I don't know, my parents didn't have a bunch of money. And sure. so I uh, didn't have the college route. I was, well, that's because uh, it's California as well. <laughs> right. yeah. We're well, both yeah. from California, so we can <laughs> confidently say that. Yeah. <laughs> we get it. <laughs> yeah. And, and um, you know, I was delivering pizza and, uh, you know, I just got offered a, a job at the, the pizza restaurant to be a manager. And uh, I had met an army recruiter. I'll never forget this guy, Sergeant Morrow. Um, and, uh uh, he's just like, hey, man, there's much more you can do in life, man. You really got to think about the Army. You really got to think about the Army. And uh, um, I was like, all right, well, let's give it a shot. And uh, there was really no huge inspiration. Uh, you know, my grandfather was a World War II vet, but uh, we didn't really ever have conversations about it. And uh, so I gave it a shot just to get a shot at life and uh, just doing life better. And it turned out to be uh, one of the most important uh, and significant decisions I ever made. Awesome. Yeah. Did you always know Army? No, no. I just um, just met the recruiter and just met the right person. Right. Uh, you know, yeah. we just had another guest. You know, yeah. uh, that it just happens to be the Army recruiter that is yep. always there. Yeah. <laughs> you know, just waiting. So, did you know what you were going to do? Well, you see, that that's the thing is it's funny how my career took a different turn, but uh, I really wanted something that I could use on the outside. I, I went in the army just to, you know, get a skill, maybe get some money for college and and, and just go back in the civilian world. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, once I, I felt that, that brotherhood and just all that stuff of the army and what the military does, uh, I was hooked and uh, just wanted, just wanted more and more and more. And so I stayed yeah. in and. Um, that's why I started out as a heavy equipment operator and then I, uh, didn't like that at all. But then I went over to SF selection and, uh, the funny thing is I was on my first deployment to, to Bosnia when I was like a private first class and, uh, as an engineer and, uh, I saw these really cool looking dudes get out of a truck, you know, they were like beards and they had sunglasses and I asked my, I asked my, uh, squad leader, I was like, Hey, who are those guys? What do they do? He's like, I think they're Green Berets. And I'm like, well, what's a Green Beret? Um, and uh, yeah. I had no idea. And so I went over to the career counselor tent. You know, it was, it was pre-Google, you know. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, and uh, learned about special forces and um, just gave it a shot. How fast after you were in heavy equipment did you drop that packet to SF selection? So as soon as I was uh, 20, they allowed me to, to drop that because you had to be 21. And so it was, um, 
you know, two years into into being which is ninety seven, ninety eight at this correct. point. Yeah. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. okay. You know what's funny is I, I don't know at that time. Something I think about a lot is it. I don't know if I would have the courage to go be a Green Beret post nine eleven. Mm. You know, you know, after I was in SF, uh, you know, we talked about uh, it was a huge. Uh, uh, Debates in the community about uh, allowing people off the streets into SF or not. And I used to always say that, like, it's pretty neat that these guys from the streets know, hell, I want to go be a Green Beret. Yeah. Like, I truly, when I look in the mirror and reflect and I'm honest with myself, had it been at a time of war that I had, I made this decision. I, I don't know. You know, we get, yeah. we get, we get put in scary situations, you know, yeah. <laughs> that's admirable to admit. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that's, if anyone said otherwise, they didn't at least question it. They would probably be a liar. Yeah. Right. yeah. yeah. I mean, that might come with age too. Right. I mean, I look back on some of the things that we did, True especially, story. especially in rescue. And I'm like, how did I, <laughs> how was I comfortable doing this type of shit? Like well, now, you know, I get a little bit of turbulence in an aircraft and I'm like grabbing the edges yeah. now. <laughs> also, when you're young, you feel very bulletproof, right? Yeah. yeah. You know, you know, it's funny. I was, uh, we were just flying to Vegas and it was me and my girlfriend and uh, she was sitting in another row and the turbulence got uh, really bad. Yeah. And I grabbed the lady's hand next to me. Look, uh, <laughs> and, uh, I was like, oh shit. <laughs> um, and so, like, don't worry, I'm a seasoned combat veteran. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, just, um, you shouldn't be nervous. It's okay. Yeah. Yeah, so 9-11 happens, and then what are you thinking at this point? Now you're buckled in. Yeah, 9-11 was, 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 was um, a very memorable moment for us. Uh, I remember I was sitting down uh, in a classroom with a friend of mine, Mike Rodriguez, who's a very, very well-known figure in the community right now. He's the, the president of the Global War on Terrorism Foundation. And okay. uh, Mike and I were in an ammo handler's class, and... Uh, the, the instructor took a break and we had no idea what was going on. We were just in an ammo handler's class and uh, uh, he came back in and he said, hey, World War III is about to start. Everybody go back to your units. And uh, we got back to the unit and the whole company was like crammed in the company headquarters uh, uh, classroom and just staring at the TV. And I didn't even know what happened yet, but I knew something happened. And uh, um, 9-11 changed, changed the game uh, for... Uh, for me, and for the entire unit, and for for the world, to be to be quite honest, but um, yeah. certainly a pivotal moment. Yeah, were you so you were a Green Beret already during nine eleven, or were you finishing up your Q course? No, I was I was in uh, Alpha three seven. I was uh, yeah, I was already on an ODA. Okay, so, um, okay, that makes sense. So nine eleven kicks off. What's uh, how, how quickly until you're on your first deployment? Well, um, it wasn't uh, for me. Uh, because I was in seventh group and our area of operations is uh, Central and South America, spent a lot of time still going to seventh group and uh, or still going to, to Central and South America, a lot of time in Colombia. Okay. And we, we were very frustrated because we were watching fifth group and third group fight the war. And, yeah. and we're, I mean, there was a lot of frustration because now here we are, you know, we want to get in a fight. We want to we want to get out there. Our brothers are out there dying and getting injured, and we want to be out there too. And so it wasn't until 2005 where I did my first combat deployment, which was in Iraq, okay. uh, where um, we partnered with the Salvadorans uh, who were there supporting our efforts in Iraq. Mm-hmm. And so my team at the time uh, was uh, assigned to work with the Salvadorans and just a combined effort in uh, the southern, south of Baghdad area. Mm-hmm. Okay, makes yeah, sense. So. So what was that? What was that deployment like for you? 
That was, that was fun. It was yeah. a great deployment. Um, you know, what I liked about Iraq compared to Afghanistan in terms of from a warfighter's foxhole is maneuverability. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, Afghanistan, you can get out there and, I mean, you can get stuck real quick. Yeah. You know, a lot of terrain to deal with. Iraq had that infrastructure. You know, if we wanted to go do a hit at 3 o'clock in the morning, I mean, we can get there pretty fast, you yeah. know. And uh, and so we spent a lot of time doing a lot of direct action on IED uh, cells and uh just in the whole southern, uh, south of Baghdad area. Mm-hmm. And um, it, it was a, a very, very rewarding trip in terms of uh, um, from the, the eyes of a warfighter. It was, uh, it was a fun trip. Yeah, getting to actually utilize the skill set that you've worked so hard to, right. to develop. Didn't lose anyone on that deployment. Uh, we, we lost a couple of El Salvadorans, uh, you know, um, and um, those guys are fierce warriors, man. Those guys, they... Uh, just the heart that they have uh, mm-hmm. is phenomenal. But from our team, no, we did not. And uh, what was really unique about that that trip is we, we had a partner Iraqi force, and then we had the Salvadorans as well, and then we had our ODA. And we would be on a on an operation, and you'd hear Spanish and Arabic and English coming over the radios. Like, it got really confusing sometimes. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. you know, um, but um, you know, nonetheless, we, we all got through it and uh, made it happen. And uh, it was a great trip. So, so, so you, were you doing a lot of, you know, training, you know, the indigenous population? Or, like, what were, who were you training at that time? So, in, in Iraq, we were working with the Hilla SWAT, uh, which was the Iraqi Hilla uh, SWAT that they had. Uh, and uh, we were uh, in a city called Al Hilla. Yeah. And um, so, we were working with them. Uh, the Salvadorans, uh, we were directly partnered with their tier one unit. So, uh, in terms of training, they didn't really need much. It was more about uh, more pretty spot on collaboration and, okay, let's get on this radio channel. You know, I mean, they're ready to yeah. go and uh, years of training from uh, uh, special forces groups here. And so, uh, and then quite honestly, we fell into a very well trained uh, Hilla SWAT. They had previous ODAs that have been there. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, just continuing on what was already built from prior teams and um, just operating, it was uh, it was a phenomenal trip. I mean, we we walked in there and we were ready to go. We were doing two to three hits a night, and um, oh. we had a lot of effect on the battlefield. It was a fun trip. Yeah. yeah. And then you were back home and doing what? What Because you know you're either deployed or right. you're doing training. Absolutely. So, yeah. What was your school in between? So, yeah, after that, it's just, you, you know, you, you deploy and you come home. You know, I uh, have two kids. I was married at the time. Okay. And so, uh, uh, you know, I just focus on on that like many of us do, you know, when we're when we're gone, we're focused on survivability and, and how to just, you know, do our job. And when we get home, we focus on uh, fixing all the problems that happened while we were gone. And, yeah. uh, um, and so uh, at that time, it was uh, pretty much a back and forth, you know. And so we got back, uh, got a little bit of uh, leave and then off to Afghanistan uh, shortly after. So. Which was what year? That was in 2006, was my first Afghanistan trip. and um, So that's same year, almost. Right right back, after, yeah. Back we home had, for six months, probably. and Yeah, something like that. It's all blurry right now, but it, yeah. it was a few months. And so, yeah, that, that trip, uh, we went to Asadabad, uh, which was uh, a pretty pretty well-known uh, fire base over there. And yeah. Um, yeah, it, was, it was a good trip as well, you know. And so, 2006? Correct, yeah. Yeah, and that was... Yeah, we were just talking about that. Yeah, our last guest here, Simac, he was a uh, Green Beret 
operating out of ABAD in the, like, the same exact year. Okay. Yeah, All surprisingly. Right. Yeah. I think they helped set it up. A lot of the up. stories line up yeah. quite well. I mean, you were year seventh, he was 19th, but right. you guys were kind of working. There's a rotation, yeah. 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 yeah, he may have been the, on the rotation before or after. I can't remember. It was 2003 there. Yeah, all the way. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. That was, that was way before. So he yeah. stood it up. He, he was the one that yeah. that stood it up on that. So, yeah. That. Uh, so, what what uh, time frame did you go there? Was it colder? Uh, yeah, it was started getting cold, and yeah. um, and we left. Uh, I think when it was starting to get cold again. I mean, we were there a long time. I think we were yeah. there like okay. nine months, and so it was. But it was a no long losses trip. again. You know. Yep. Yeah, no losses on that trip. Uh, very fortunate. And, um, you know, we uh, just did our thing. You know, we worked with our partners and we just went out there and did as much uh, direct action as we could and mm-hmm. uh, had a good time doing it. Yeah. So Iraq, Afghanistan seemed to be going well at this point. It seemed to be what? Going well for you at this point. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. A lot of good training, a lot of good missions, not a lot of losses. You feel invincible at this point. Right. Yeah. Well, we, we, a lot of learned, you know, uh, definitely, uh, we were very fortunate, uh, up to this point, uh, to not suffer any, uh, you know, catastrophic loss on the team up until, mm-hmm. until my last deployment. But, uh, okay. Mm. And then well, what, what are you actually, so your position in, so I started off in, as enlisted. I, I started off as an 18 Bravo, and then uh, I uh, went over into the intelligence side of uh, Special Forces. And then um, then after that uh, was done, I went over to become a warrant officer, um, as a foreign officer. So, okay. So in 2006, were you deployed as a as a warrant? I was enlisted, and yeah. then I went to warrant officer school in 2007. Okay. So. And then immediately redeployed afterwards. Absolutely. Yeah. Wow. So yeah. that got you on a pretty quick op tempo. Yeah, yeah we, we were gone. I mean, from 2001 to the time I got out of the army, it was uh, deployed back, deployed back. It was just uh, yeah. constant. Yeah. That's, uh, yeah, that gets pretty hectic, especially the family life, trying to balance family with an operational yeah. environment like that. And it's, it can be pretty difficult. Uh, absolutely. I think that, you know, something I said in a, a speech I gave a couple of years ago is that, you know, the, the, what the what the the spouses do and the kids do is that they really help contribute to the survivability of that warfighter. You know, if that warfighter is focused on what's going on at home, they're not focused on what they're supposed to be doing yeah, operationally. Agreed. We have access to so much. I mean, warfighters today, they're deployed, and the first question is like, hey, what's the internet password? Yeah. You, you know, I mean, World War II, though, what? You know, and... Um, you know, and they're so connected to what's going on at home. And um, it, it's a tough... Uh, it, takes, a, it distracts them from the huge. mission. Yeah, it, it really yeah. does. Yeah. You know, they should be focused on survivability. But uh, the the families that really get it, you know, play a huge part into the survivability of those that are forward deployed. And, uh, you know, I think that the government um, can really do better in, in that regard and, and recognizing that for sure, you know? Yeah. yeah. I would agree with that. I think that's that's a fair point. You know, being connected gives you more opportunity to be worried about more things. Yeah. Right? In World War II, like you mentioned, you know, you have, it takes four, five, six weeks for a single letter to show up and yeah. the same amount of time for it to return. So you're, you're getting little bits of communication over three or four months at a time as opposed to, you know, daily or multiple times a day. I imagine that can lead to yeah. a lot of distractions. Our guys are worried about shit that shouldn't have to worry. Be worried about simply just the connectivity. It's yeah. certainly something that uh, we have to address. I mean, we can't just like turn off the the internet. It'd yeah. be yeah. chaos. You know. How would you make that better? 
Yeah, I think just talking about it and ensuring that the spouses uh, know ahead of time, hey, you know, if you can filter out a problem and, and not let it reach Afghanistan, uh, please do that. Mm, you yeah. know, and then just, just talking about it, I think that we uh, leave so much um, unresolved because we don't talk about it. And, you know, yeah. and uh, the family readiness groups, they're not for, I mean, the cookies and the get togethers, that's cool. But, you know, hey, yeah, if the, the lawnmower guy doesn't mow the lawn, Solve that at Fort Bragg. Like, yeah. just leave that there. Yeah, you know, I that's mean, a valid point. Like, some sort of like, like in my business, we have a, a, a SOP for escalations. Like, like if there's a problem, what gets to Levi? Mm-hmm. What doesn't? Yes. And, and so, like, some sort yeah, of escalation is, process. And the, but that is, I mean, that's just being uneducated too. Is because yeah, you do see situations like that, like where yeah. mowing the lawn becomes a detrimental issue while you're downrange and deployed. And like, just ask yourself the question if you're giving your spouse a hard time about that, you know, while they're getting shot at, is that the most opportune time to Mm. bring that up? Probably not, right? Absolutely. So that's just lack of education. So yeah, I I completely agree with that. You know, these uh, military readiness centers, uh, you know, and those who are managing the FRG should be able to really sit them down and have classes that actually mean something. Right. uh, As opposed to just cooking classes on Wednesday. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So I I, I definitely get that. So you you luckily had a family that was very supportive in that and helped. Yeah, I was very very fortunate. Uh, I had a lot of great support, you know, while I was in in the military, for sure. Good. So you get back from Afghanistan, you go to warrant officer training. Yeah, so I thought I was about to get my first break. Like, yeah. um, and um, the company commander called me up. I'm in warrant officer school. It's condensed because uh, I think they made some changes just due to the war effort to get people through faster. And yeah. uh, um, there was a lot of things that didn't make sense to send a, a seasoned SF uh, guy to Fort Rucker to learn land navigation at basic warrant officer school. Warrant officer school didn't make sense, and so yeah. they're able to condense it. And um, about a week before graduation, uh, the company commander uh, made. Patton, I'll never forget this. Uh, he called up. He said, hey, Levi, uh, you want to go to Guatemala? I'm like, well, I was going to go on vacation, sir. What's up? He said, well, there's a, a team leader who's about to get fired. Uh, they, they must up, and uh, we need somebody to go down there. I'm like, all right, Roger that, sir. You can't say no. I was a W1. Yeah. You know, what are you yeah. going you know, to do? You Started know? back so, over. <laughs> so what was neat about that is um, my first leadership challenge as a warrant officer was about to come in because, uh, you know, typically I try to move, you know, uh, if, you know, I grew up in the same company. I grew up from E5 to E7. I was, uh, uh, you know, in the same company for several years. I knew all these guys as my peers. And now I'm about to take over as an ODA commander, mm-hmm. um, a team in my same company. And so um, typically they'll move the warrant officer when they get out of school to a different company. Yeah. So there's just no conflict of no interest. Problem. Yeah. Sure. Right. And so less respect right away. Right, right. Yeah. And so um, that wasn't the case. And fortunately, I rolled into a wonderful ODA, uh, ODA 7-3-1-1, and the team was very supportive uh, of it. And uh, it worked out well. I went down there and solved a few problems. Uh, the team did a great job of uh, uh, finishing out that mission. And, um, you know, it was good. And so I stayed on that ODA for the rest of my career. Okay. And what were, what were you guys actually doing down there in Guatemala? Was it AAA or? Yeah, so so we were working uh, in the northern part of Guatemala uh, with the Kai Bills. Uh, it was a Guatemalan um, special operations unit. 
and uh, just done the counter narco terrorism yeah. uh, efforts uh, that okay. we had going on in Guatemala. Yeah. You have fun? Yeah. What's that? Did you have fun with that one? I had a great, great trip. It was a great trip. Uh, you know, uh, I really enjoyed uh, a time down in Central and South America. A lot of civvies on that one, huh? Say what? It's a lot of civilian clothes on that one. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's a good time. It's well, a good time. A lot uh, of beach yeah. access, I bet, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, um, they had a good time in Guatemala. <laughs> so, That's great. Yeah, That's yeah. great. So, um, Guatemala happens, you're a warrant officer, shit is condensed. Right. <laughs> shit is very condensed. Uh, you're deployed again. Absolutely. So mm-hmm. so we get back from Guatemala and and I'm gonna be missing a couple weeks or here and there, but uh very shortly after we end up in Afghanistan again, mm-hmm. uh, which was my final uh, trip to Afghanistan and uh, uh we had a um, well there was another one in between. Um so uh, I missed that. So, and uh, we had a uh, a company, a commander come to the team and replaced me. I stayed on there as the warrant officer. Uh, he did his time and left. We went to Afghanistan. And then, um, then the trip that I was injured on, uh, happened in 2009. And so, uh, just so back to back. Second surge is right around the corner mm-hmm. of Afghanistan, right? Yeah. And you're there 2009. What, what month? September. So September. it was the uh, 15th of September when I was wounded. And so we were there probably about a month and a half, two months prior. If I, um, I don't know the exact dates, but uh, it was. So, so yeah. walk us through that. So walk us through that deployment. What's it's going on like every other day, every other op, right? Well, so what's interesting about that, that deployment, it was a very, uh, there was a competition um, amongst the teams per se, to get this particular mission because it was uh, of high importance. And um, and so we were fortunate to get the, the nod. I was the ODA commander again, uh, which was uh, a really wonderful position to be in. And, um, you know, I had just a great group of guys. And uh, the deployment was to uh, Delaram, which was uh, in RC West. And um, we were um, assigned a mission to link up with uh, an Arbakai force uh, that was uh, down in the southwest portion of Afghanistan, basically a village militia. Uh, and uh, without getting into like a, a top secret briefing here, but, um, you know, basic gist of it is we were going to go down there, you know, establish rapport with this militia that controlled the highway. Uh, of significance was the Marines were uh, really having a uh, a lot of a lot of fighting going on in the Helmand province and uh, Highway One from Iran into Afghanistan. Uh, a lot of the opium and weapon trade happened along that highway. Yeah. yeah. And so this particular village militia controlled that highway. Okay. And so uh, uh, there hadn't been a large U.S. presence down that far. Uh, operating that close to the Iranian border. And so uh, that, that was our job, is to get down there, uh, go, uh, you know, meet with these uh, folks and try to get them uh, to, on our side. Okay. So, yeah. And how did that go? It, it went all right. What's interesting is that um, we uh, had planned uh, that uh, initial trip down to that village um, quite, quite heavily. And, um, you know, I, I think that... Um, had we not planned it, could have gone differently. Uh, and um, but uh, we made sure everywhere from the time we linked up to the location of where we linked up with the the little the village militia uh, leader, it was all planned and choreographed. I mean, we the meeting site went into a burned out girls' school where the Taliban had you know burned out the the girls' school. Yeah. Uh, and um, you know we had planned a demonstration of our uh, capabilities. We um, had presets. Uh, 
um, airdrops of uh, supplies and vet supplies for their animals and medical supplies. And then we also had uh, pre-planned, um, you know, F-18s or F-16s. I can't remember which one. Fast movers uh, to come in and just demonstrate, like, we could bring it, you know. Yeah, and, sure, uh, of course. And so yeah. it, it was really neat that we were able to demonstrate uh, our capabilities per se in a non-threatening manner to them um, and uh, get them on our side. And so, uh, um, you know, when we uh, we went there and met with them, we, you know, established that initial contact and then uh, we went back and uh, back to our base to, to refit. And then um, what happened is uh, on a follow-on trip uh, down there to go work and ha- establish more of a long-term presence, uh, uh, is when uh, I was I was wounded when we struck an, an IED. Uh, so you know, so I, ground convoy, yeah, to to kind of reconvene with uh, this team over here, and yeah, walk so walk us through step by step, moment by moment, how that went. Uh, You're so just driving routine. There's no indication that there's going to be danger on this route at all. Well, I, I think that there's always. Um, an indication of danger. It's just how you uh, react to such. It's something I relive every day. It's something that, um, you know, I mean, four, four men right here I wear on my wrist lost their lives under my direction, and I live. And it's something that um, that I deal with every, every fucking day of my life. And, um, you know, there's families, there's uh, loved ones, uh, my teammates. Uh, there's a whole community of sorts that's affected by um, the decisions I either made or, or didn't make that day. And so um, while returning from that mission uh, to just, um, you know, just, just return, I think we're just going to refit, you know, and um, uh, we struck a, an ID. It turned out to be a, a tripwire device uh, that was over the over the road, uh, known choke point. And, um, you know, we thought we had uh, everything covered. We had... Um, you know, some aerial support, some signal support uh, to help uh, clear our route. We had forward reconnaissance to help clear our routes. And then, unfortunately, um, they got us. They got us with a, a tripwire, you know, something that, um, you know, something I, I just, I, every day I, I think about this. You know, what could I have done differently? Uh, what should I have done differently? And uh, um, and, and it's, uh, it's difficult. But um we strike the the ID. Uh, my memory from that point really goes blank. Um, you know, I know the stories that my teammates have told me, uh, but it was catastrophic. Uh, we everybody in the vehicle was, was brutally killed. And, How many vehicles uh, were there? What's that? How many vehicles in the convoy? In the convoy. Uh, I'd say at least four. I don't know. We were small. You know, it was four. So yeah. it, was, it was probably four. It was three or four, but I'm pretty sure it was four. Okay. So, and you were in the first lead, vehicle? Lead vehicle. Lead vehicle. Lead vehicle, yeah. So the commander, we, we go up front. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, so. And yeah, so the IED obviously goes off and, and you're you're in the vehicle. So w- you don't have much memory of post-explosion or? No. Um, I, I have some weird dreams. Um, and I don't know if it's just stories from people coming and telling me what happened and uh, together. the team has done a really good job of insulating me from uh, from it all you know and um, I um, you know I, I don't know uh, to be honest with you I have zero memories of the actions on objective per se or what, what happened okay um, you know significantly though um, you know being being good war fighters our our, our team uh, did a great job they uh, 
just ran through the gunfight and uh, they got me out of there, got me away. Uh, there was something to point out to uh, one of the gentlemen that works with me today at my company. His name's Pedro Solis. Uh, Pedro Solis was our dog handler on that mission. And okay. uh, a dog handler, you know, obviously one of the tactics when you strike an ID, dog handler goes up, marks clear lane because where there's one, there's probably two or three and there's probably overwatching fires from the enemy. Mm-hmm. So, um, Pedro is one of the first people to go through this uh, chaos, and um, he gets me away from the vehicle, and uh, it's played a significant part in, in me being here today. Yeah, and um, you know, it's just um, you know, Pedro tells me he says that uh, you know I was coherent and that I was uh, screaming and yelling and you know how the guys and what's going on, you know this and that. But but I I don't remember. He's black. I don't out. remember any of that. Hmm. What injuries were sustained at this point? So forty percent uh, total body surface area burns, uh, shattered everything. Um, minus somehow my arms and my neck didn't break. Like but everything else back. And don't ever break your ass either. If you, <laughs> I'm telling you, like man, if you fall, anybody out there listening, if you're gonna fall, I mean, arm or something. I mean, but you break your butt. You don't realize how much you use that damn thing. And yeah. uh, uh, I broke my ass, shattered my legs, ankles, you name it. And uh, uh, it was just a, it's just a mess. And so I woke up about uh, six, seven weeks later at Brook Army Medical Center, and okay. um, I was in an induced coma for quite a while. Wow. So you don't need it. You woke up in in Bamsey. Yeah, Bamsey. Yeah, so not even Kandahar no, or no. Langstuhl or anything. It was just back in the States. I think they stopped. They, they did uh, stop me. They, they medevaced me to, to Kandahar, I believe, or it could have been to, um, I can't remember. There's another... Another medical uh, fast team somewhere in RC West. I, I can't remember. What was it? Agram? No, 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 no. It was, um, let's just say Kandahar. I can't remember. Um, okay. I'm sure, I'm sure my guys would probably know. probably Kandahar. Right. Yeah. Uh, so they got me to Kandahar uh, where they, they, they opened up my chest and, you know, I was bleeding up pretty bad. I got like this whole thing here and, yeah. uh, it, yeah. uh, you know, it took me down and, uh, um, and then uh, they got me right to Germany. And then what's neat about the burn, specific burn evacuation is that from the point of a validated burn injury, they're launching people from Book Army Medical Center to meet that patient in Germany. Yeah, and of course I don't remember this. I was I was out. I had tubes yeah. in my throat and stuff. And so, um, and um, they get me relatively quickly. I was in Bamsey in under seventy two hours. I mean, it's wow. Uh, wow. Yeah, it's uh, it, the capability that our country has, and not not just the capability that we have, but our willingness mm. to spend millions upon millions of dollars to preserve the life of our warfighters. Like, yeah, like I think about what all went into that, like. Family here doing whatever they're doing at Bamsey. Yeah. Ding. You know, oh yeah. shit. Levi or whoever's burnt hops on airplane, Germany. We're Drops up there. whatever they're Me. doing, right? Yeah. yeah. And then C 17 to, to San Antonio and like, like, wow. And all for, for just this army guy. And um, I think about everything that went into keeping me alive. And which would be a segue into what I talk about in a little bit, but I absolutely have a responsibility to make the absolute fucking best of this life I have. Mm. And I think that um, our people out there that may be struggling with similar stories or or just problems that they have, I mean, 
you survived. Yeah. And a lot went into that. And there's a lot of people that are suffering of those that haven't survived. And, you know, um, that was a significant uh, um, time in my life, right, uh, to help me decide my way forward and really change things for me was when uh, I realized it was my responsibility to go live the most amazing life as humanly possible. And, um, I mean, so much went into keeping me alive from the medic on the ground to the non-medics that that helped out with their training to, to Pedro, to the Medivac team, to, I mean, just everybody. And so, um, yeah, you know, and it's, um, and then honoring the memory of our, the guys that were lost. I mean, that, that uh, people ask me like, Hey, Levi, how'd you go to real estate business so fast? Oh my gosh, how'd you do this? Blah, blah, blah. I have a fuel that I just can't describe, man. I mean, mm. I mean, these, I mean, there's four human beings lost their lives under my direction and I lived. Yeah. I have to go. I've got no choice. You know, I, I, I sit here and I, I listen to you and it sounds like you're beating yourself up for it. You know, uh, yeah. it's, it's something that's just completely out of your control. And I, I I can't even imagine how many people have told you that at this point, but you're still holding on to that. Um, you, you can't see a tripwire in the road. No, yeah. You know? Well, I've gotten past the, you know, so much blaming myself for it, um, you know, as best as I possibly could. But uh, utilizing that as a fuel to to go out and live an amazing life is is what uh, I have to do. You know, yeah. and it's um really and you the, owe that to them, Mr. One hundred percent, one hundred percent, and I think that's where a lot of our folks get caught up is that, uh, you know, there's a lot of capability uh, in the military and veteran community. And I think that, I think this is the most entrepreneurial generation of warfighters ever, ever to exist. And like, we've accomplished so much on the battlefield and, and I mean, don't let what happened on the battlefield prevent you from coming back home and, and just kicking ass. And I mean, you know, we're sitting here in black rifles headquarters. I mean, like, like, Wow, right? Yeah. You know, I mean, it's an amazing story right there. Yeah. And so, you know, yeah, but it, but it hasn't been easy. It hasn't been easy, you know, at all. Yeah. No, of course not. Mm. Life is not supposed to be easy. No, yeah. yeah, I, yeah I think yeah. it's it's really important to to note too, especially, you know, kind of at, at this point, it's a good segue into saying that, you know, when, when people choose to take their own life, yeah. Uh, what does that say about those people who sacrificed their lives, you know, mm-hmm. for you, those four mm-hmm. people, if you were to take your life, you're taking that away from them as well. You know, mm-hmm. that, that life you live. So, I mean, don't be selfish. Life is hard. You yeah. Know? Life yeah. is hard. And, uh, you know, being here on this earth is bonus time, to, you know, have their memories survive on as well. Yep. 100%. You know, we were, you know, just this morning, uh, I was talking with my, my PR folks for the, the business and talking about our, our Memorial Day message. And, um, and I got really passionate. Was, you know, we gotta, we gotta, we gotta just get out there and, and, and be real and, and just speak from the heart and you know, none of this, uh, um, bullshit we're, we're supposed to say, you know, what yeah. corporate America wants us the, to say. We need to, we need to speak up. real. Kind yeah. of buttoned up kind of stuff, right? I mean, yeah. that's that's why we we're having this conversation right now Absolutely. to try to try to get in and understand what it's truly like to to continue living after events like this yes. and how it's affected your life, mm. and you know, both in the negative and the positive ways. But it sounds like you're you're finding a positive out of something that still sticks with you today. You're, yeah. you're trying yeah. trying to shift that perspective to make it a fuel more than a detriment to yourself, right? 
Real, real estate's been a, a good pathway for me. When I was transitioning out, I, like many of us, you know, I was looking for work, mm-hmm. struggling. I was like, man, where, where am I going to go? What am I going to do? Just running out of money. And um, a friend of mine, it's an interesting story, comes up to me. He's like, hey, Levi, well, why, don't you, why don't you sell the house that you have in North Carolina? All right. Um, so I called old realtor that, that I met when I was a young soldier. I was 21 years old when I bought my first house and uh, the VA loan, $58,000 VA loan at Fort Bragg. And uh, um, I had, uh, found a, the old real estate agent and Gary Langdon. And uh, I reached out to him and I was like, hey, Gary, hey, this is Levi. Um, you know, uh, I was wounded. I need to sell the property. How much is it worth? And he's like, you still have the same house? I'm like, yeah, why? And uh uh, he said, it's worth probably about $150,000 more than you paid for it. I'm like, whoa. You know? yeah. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> and so I was like, really? And then, uh, well, then my wife at the time, um, and uh, she had uh, put some tenants in uh, the property. And so I figured out a way to, to bribe the tenants and give them some money to get out um, so yeah. we could sell it. Mm-hmm. And um, I started thinking about that moment when I decided to buy that home. And uh, I was looking at a different home. It was uh, by um, Fort Bragg, a little closer to Fort Bragg, the mm-hmm. gate. And uh it was a double wide trailer, and uh, the real estate agent Gary is like, "Son, you know, I don't want you to buy this. It's going to go down in value, not up. Let me take you to a different area." Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, it turns out to be a very smart decision by listening to that guy. And uh, and so, fast forward twelve years, here I am in San Antonio, uh, running out of money, transitioning to try to find a job that I want to do, and. Um, I'd sell this house and make more money than I ever thought I ever had in my life. And I uh, was able to pay off my debt. And it was that moment where I was, you know, how to become a real estate agent. Yeah. Got on Google and uh, um, I decided that, uh, you know, as long as it worked out, which it has, uh, it's been the rest of my life helping veterans and military make smart real estate decisions. And so that has been a pretty good decision. Uh, today we have a company. I've got about 185, 190 people at my, at my company right now. Uh, we're headquartered here in San Antonio. We're also in Austin and Colleen. And, um, it's been really, really neat. You know, it's been really neat to, uh, use that one experience and, and spread it. Yeah. Continue pushing that out. Yeah. Let yeah. other people have that experience as well. That's, that's amazing. And I love that you found your entrepreneurial spirit too. Uh, Obviously, you know, Dave and I are both business owners as well. And it's, I think, I think you're right. It's becoming more and more of an attainable goal for a lot of people post-service. They, they see, Hey, I've, I've done this really non-conventional job. You know, I I did something weird in the military. Why not get out? And I can continue finding my way and paving my own path. Well, because they see others like them doing it, right? Mm-hmm. The, the Evan Hafers, all yeah. these other people that are out there, just out there kicking life in its ass. Uh, like we have a responsibility to show the world that we can do it. Oftentimes we're telling the bad stories. Veteran gets hooked into drugs. Veteran goes yeah. to jail. Like yeah. fuck that noise, man. Like like yeah. t- share the positive. And it's not always money. Mm-hmm. Like like if veteran wants to be the greatest fucking soccer coach that ever existed. Well, let's let's celebrate that. Yeah, serves warfighter, two deployments, phenomenal fucking soccer coach, impacted two hundred kids this year. Yeah, like like it doesn't always have to be about money and cars or whatever and this and that, and um and 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 that's where I think we just got to tell the stories. Yes. And it's like what you guys are doing and sharing the stories. There's somebody out there that's gonna listen to this and say, you know, I could do it too. Whatever it is that they want to yeah, do. Yeah, and I think that's an important uh, part to note as well is that. 
these aren't just veteran stories. They're yeah. stories about how to overcome the obstacles that you face in your life every day. Yeah. They could be applied, you know. Uh, I, countless times I've spoken to people and they come up to me and they're like, you know, uh, Dave, my story, you know, I never did what you did. I just, and, you, yeah, and yeah. you're like, no, 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 no. You got to pause right there. It's not, you know, ju- you just did this. That devalues you and your story, right? right? Mm-hmm. Is how do you take my story and apply it to what you're facing in your life to overcome that? Right. You know, and that's the stories we have to capitalize. And that's what we're capitalizing here at the Medivac podcast is telling mm-hmm. stories that could be relatable to other people mm-hmm. to help you get to the next step. Right. Absolutely. Just because you weren't blown up doesn't mean you're not facing a really shitty day. Right. You know? Yeah. Right. So I think that's that's important as we need to focus on the positive notes out there and not the negative. Right. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's there's a lot of negative aspects to your story. Right. Losing friends, you know, uh, coming out what you thought is broken, having your life completely change, you know, yeah. but it's what you take from that. To to survive and and become something better than so, you, you ever thought you could possibly be. I think that a lot of our people have some sort of this anxiety of sorts of failure and like you just gotta fucking execute. You just mm-hmm. gotta have the this the courage to just say, hey, you know what, I'm gonna I'm gonna start grinding coffee, man. <laughs> like yeah. like you know <laughs> what I mean? Like take that first step, you know, whatever that step is, you know. And I think that um like if we can just get it out there to our people, is that, you know, I mean, you've fought in war, you've raised your right hand, you've already done what the majority of the country would never have the courage to do. Yeah. So why the fuck are you afraid to go fucking uh, start a damn cleaning business or whatever it is that you want to do? Like, let's go. Yeah. And and I think that the more we share the positive stories of our people out there winning, however they define that win, Hmm. the better off our people, you know, and, um, it just uh, it frustrates me. You see all these these nonprofits and all these other stuff, which are good. I've had a lot. Benevolence played a huge part in, in my story, but I think a lot of solutions to our problems are within. You know, um, just your your buds, your friends, those you serve with, and um, you know. And I just think so much can be solved by just sharing the positive. Could not agree more. Yeah, and yeah. and and. How you respond to things is yeah. also really important, right? There's a lot of guys and, and, and girls out there who are making that transition. They're getting out of the military to pursue entrepreneurial things like this. Yeah. And I think an important note is to continue continue pressing forward. You know, Take that first step, obviously. But how you respond to issues as they pop up is going to ultimately define that the the long-term success that you see or or how how much you get out of what you put in right if you run into a small issue and that that destroys your entire day we need to change your perspective a little bit and you need to change how you're responding to things in order to shift that and continue pushing forward you know it's something a lot of people lose when they get out i feel like is they they lose that continual drive forward like the mission's never done We, we know that the mission's never done until you know you're dead so you got to continue pushing forward and keep pressing. I mean, I agree. You know, what's interesting, I don't have a college degree. Hmm. You know, I've got maybe like two classes at the University of Phoenix. You know <laughs> what I mean? Like, <laughs> the, um, which you know, I'm sure a lot of people can re- relate with. But uh, um, I get my real estate license. It takes six weeks. And I hmm. just 
kept executing. I mean, something I haven't mentioned is uh, I just took on a position. Uh, so I own my company, yeah. a real estate company, but I, I took on a position with uh, Keller Williams uh, International as the director of the KW Military, which is a their, their global military element. And so um, that's just now starting, um, and which is pretty neat, though. But uh, we're removing the barrier of the financial aspect of education for a real estate license for all military veterans. Oh, and that's their families. amazing. So that's incredible. Um, we'll be launching a military times with an article on it. Um, but uh, oh, that's incredible. We'll be, you know, no longer will a veteran have to pay for real estate school. Uh, it's pretty, pretty neat. Like wow. this is standardized. Across the board, or yeah, well, is right, it right now we're in uh, just under forty states, but we're working on the rest uh, right wow. now. So it's um, it's pretty cool. That's incredible. We're gonna yeah. have to post that link. Yeah, yeah. In well, the is description that, is that live right now? Or uh, it, yeah, it's live. Um, okay. I'll get you guys the links. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll make sure to put those in the in the description. Absolutely. I know, absolutely. I know quite a few people who are pursuing real estate. Right real estate, it's a great it's a great career because you yeah. can go at your pay, especially for the veterans, right? We, you know, we may have other stuff we're doing. We may have mm-hmm. another job, um, but um, you, you know, I think that um, you know whether it's appointments or whatever, you know, mm-hmm. uh, real estate allows you that flexibility to to work at your own pace. If you want to sell a thousand homes a year, you can do that. If you just want to sell two and, and chill, that, that's cool too, yeah. you know. And uh, I think the neat thing about real estate is that you know. As veterans, we all have the VA loan. We all have that VA entitlement. Mm-hmm. That VA entitlement changed my entire life. It was a $58,000 VA loan with one real estate agent that that gave me great advice. That turned into a—it was a catalyst for me to—I've got like 15 homes that I own here in San Antonio. And it all came just because I made a smart decision with the VA loan yeah. once, twice, three times. Okay, now I'm in a position to do a different one. And I didn't have a silver spoon or none of that. It's just smart decision with real estate. And um, that VA loan changed, changed my life. I could, I could probably do two hours just on, on that itself, you know. Um, but uh, real estate's a great, a great profession for the military community. Mm. Um, and, um, you know, I think that... Uh, yeah, I'll just leave it out. It's a great, it's a great profession for our. You don't have to leave it at that. Yeah, no, well, no, continue, yeah. brother. Well, tell, I mean, you us. know, like we have such a. It, it, it boils my blood sometimes when I see run into folks that, that twenty year career never used their VA loan. You know, they're getting that BAH every month. You know, young soldier E four E five can use that BAH to go buy a house. Imagine if they did that four times in their career. Yeah. You know, and um, you know, and the key just goes into making smart real estate decisions. You don't need to have the biggest house. You, you just buy something that you could rent out when you PCS. Yep. And and you'll you'll retire like like. <laughs> You, you'll have options. And yeah. so, yeah. Um, and, um, you know, I just got it. We just got to get work on getting that education out there. And that's a big part of uh, what we're doing with this uh, military segment at KW is getting that education out there. And, um, um, but yeah, I don't want to turn this into a, a business talk, but uh, no, no, this is great. Uh, yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, this is, this is what we do. We show, we sharecase the stories and we give them hope into whatever their future is as well. So yeah. it's a big part uh, of of this show. Yeah, it's okay. talking All about right. resiliency, right? Yeah. This is this is something that's afforded you uh, a long term career. You've developed a business. You've you yeah. know developed an, an entire network. Uh, you know that that plays into resiliency very well, especially you know given the fact that you were medevaced. No, yeah, you, yeah. you've been through that yeah. big negative, and you, you found you found what you need to put. 
yourself into, right? You plugged yourself into real estate. It, it worked for you. Yeah, That's really. a huge aspect of resiliency. It applies yeah. totally across and, the board. And showcases the adaptability mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. It's like, right, your life was has a singular moment where it could have been over and you thought it was over. I'm sure after you were, you were injured, I know yeah. when I was injured, I woke up from the hospital and said, what the fuck am I going to do now? Right. My life's over, you know? But that's not the case at all, you know, we, as far as everybody goes is, you know, putting yourself in a situation like a lot of people do. You say it too, is like. But I think that I saw a post the other day and it was something to the fact of, and I shared with my company is that um, something I think a lot of our people can can use. And, um, you know, it's not weak to ask for help. And perhaps it may be the strongest fucking thing you ever do yeah. is to raise your hand and ask for help. And um, I would not have what I have today at all without the help of others. There were so many people, that whether it's a phone call from Avin Castro keeping me from uh, thinking that suicide's an option or whether it's a, um, a benevolent organization just giving me a hand to, to pay the rent on an apartment while I go to therapy. Um, and... Um, you know, uh, sometimes we need help and it's part of our story and, and don't be afraid to ask for it, you know. And um, so yeah. some, some of our people, uh, we, we've we got that whole, um, fuck it all, just grind through it yeah. type yeah. feeling. And um, sometimes the root mentality, just, yeah. He's got to just raise your hand, man. And um, yeah, because I wouldn't have shit if it wasn't for others and the generosity of people who's giving me a shot. You know? so. It's important to note like to just emphasize that point right there is, you know, there are so many people out there today that are just there to help. Yep. You know what I mean? And we do, you know, focus on the negative aspects of things. Yeah. You turn on the news and you're like, oh my God, this world is going to hell in a handbasket. Right. But that's not the case, you know? It's what we tend to focus on. We tend to focus on the negativity. We tend to focus on the failures. Mm. But I think that's what makes the veteran community so unique and wonderful is we really focus on ourselves and how to not necessarily give a hand out, but a hand up mm-hmm. to the next step. You know, that, that is the epitome of being, being a veteran is look to your left and right and want others to succeed. But in the civilian world, it tends to go kind of the opposite, doesn't it? It's like, yeah. I, I, your success is challenging me. And that's yeah. a problem. If you could, uh, you know, negate that, mentality, mm. you could take on the world. Yeah. Right. Success is not scoop that needs to be, you know, <laughs> maintained by one singular person. It is success to go around for everybody. Right. Yeah. You know, I've seen, I have a lot of access into the real estate community and what's really neat about what I've learned. I entered in real estate thinking that there was nobody better than a veteran to help a veteran mindset, and um, which there's some truth to that. Yeah. But I've seen a lot of amazing people who've never served, who are phenomenal mm. at helping veterans and just don't know how to help, you know, and want to yeah. help. And uh, and so I think that um, you know it's just such a blessed country that we have, and um, we're so fortunate. To, in the post 9-11 era that our, that our brothers from the Vietnam era stood up and said never again, you know? Uh-huh. And uh, that's why we have what we have, you know? Yeah. That's why we have the culture we have is because they, yeah. they didn't allow it to happen again. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, it's just, you know, a wonderful uh, opportunity as a, as a post 9-11 veteran to go out there and, and just live an amazing life. And, uh, yeah, um, you know, it's just 
It's a, it, it is amazing. It's a, it's it's kind of crazy um, that you, you know. I'll just reiterate this point: is what we would do as a country to maintain the health um, of our troops. You know, yeah. I mean, the assets that we spend. No other time in history, um, in history, did you have such importance on the individual who served, mm. right? I mean, you, you think with Napoleon, right. if you, you know, you got that amputation, whether they're taking care of your family, no. So like, that's a really important message yeah. that, uh, you know, in this country, we take care of those. Never leave a fallen comrade. 100%. Right? Yeah. So I, I think that's that's an amazing point. And I think it's a, it's, it's a point that everybody forgets about. Yeah. You know? Really absolutely. Is. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and, and you know what, Levi, I, I really hope that you put yourself if you don't, and I'm sure you I'm sure you don't because you're you have humility. I can tell that from you, but you should be lumping yourself into that same category of those who have gone on to help others. Yeah. Because I you know, obviously you have. You you employ nearly two hundred people, some of which were veterans that you served with, right? Yeah. So if if you haven't put yourself in that category, I certainly will, and and I want to thank you for for all that you've done yeah, for, for the veterans post service too. I've got yeah. a lot of great people around me. You know, yeah, just happen to you know be the guy driving the you know doing this, but uh, right, you're the one but, affording others opportunities now, and that's yeah. it's so important. Yeah. And you you might have lost four, but yeah. like like Christian said, 190 at least that we know of right now. Yeah, that yeah. you're you're making an impact. On a day-to-day basis. Appreciate it. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Well, Levi, thank you very much for joining us today. Well, wait, 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 wait. Oh, yes. Where do we find you? Yeah. Besides oh, that's, that's the my, Levi Rogers group. That was my next question. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, it's, it's probably the... <laughs> yeah, welcome. <laughs> it's probably the best way is just the, you know, the Google or, you know, just go to levirogersgroup.com, you know. Okay. Uh, I mean, you could always... Uh, Hit us up on Facebook. We're pretty easy to find. And, um, you know, yeah, we can help out anybody out there, whether uh, you're looking to get into real estate or nice. whether, you know, obviously if you have real estate questions, we'll help you too. But, uh, um, yeah, just any way we can help, 100%. Well, you'll have to send that yeah. in- information over to us so we could add it to the description. And if anyone has any questions, we'll make sure to get it back to you. Yeah, absolutely, we'll, we'll do that, 100%. Yeah. Perfect. Well, thanks a lot for joining us today. You have uh, an incredible story and... Again, you are you are a, a very inspirational person, Levi. Another hero on the show. Yeah, we have do. another hero on the show. <laughs> well, I appreciate you guys having me. I appreciate you guys, uh, you know, being a segue to, to get stories out there yeah. for our people, you know. And uh, uh, thank you so much, man. It's pretty awesome. Perfect. Awesome, brother. Thanks, Levi. Thanks. Thank you. This has been the Medevac Podcast, ladies and gentlemen. Please like, subscribe, and uh, share it with a friend or family member if you got something out of today's episode. Thanks. Bye. Thanks, guys.